Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Market access and reimbursement, obviously not only an important topic, for sure, especially the ones who are listening to our podcast in the last couple of months and years, that is quite clear, but especially if you maybe consider further what might be happening, will be happening, not might, um, in roughly two years' time. And we have just heard January 2023 that in Q4 2024, so basically tomorrow, the EU joint HTA will start to be implemented at least for oncology and ATP products across Europe. I think important to consider here is still that you will still have on a national level the different submission processes. So it's not just on a European level. And then you, for example, have already granted a benefit and a benefit rating, as you might have seen that on an on a European medicine agency level, so regulatory level, but it's rather the first step into the markets across Europe. I think what we still know is for sure that the different HTA agencies are going to still debating about the acceptable evidence base on that joint EU HTA level. So, for example, which endpoints, which kind of Studies might also be av uh, available and acceptable, which might especially be maybe difficult in the area of ATMPs. In Germany, for example, you have seen that a lot of ATMPs went through the benefit assessment, got a non-quantifiable added, added benefit granted because of the of the legal environment and regulation Germany has adopted, especially for those products. But you have also seen that some or a good number of those ATPs needed to run registries in order to collect further data. But still, that has happened while having positive reimbursement. And I think at least for most of them, a quite attractive price. That is as well a key difference. And that's, I think, maybe also a bit of a concern how and in which ways the EU joint HTA might be implemented. In any way, I think cool question still remains is and are the different countries maybe already ready for the EU joint HTA? And if not, how would in any way look the process like starting already end of next year? For that discussion, I've invited this time two guests, uh, both from Partners for Access, a consultancy company in the UK. One is Priyanka Kiritaran. She is a partner for Partners for Access and has also worked beforehand as a clinical project manager as at the Hammersmith Medicines Research Limited. And the second guest is Chloe Shepard. She is consultant at Partners for Access and has also worked beforehand at different consultancy um, before she joined Partners for Access. 
Good, great. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Priyanka. Good morning out of Germany into the UK, I presume, right? Yes, good morning from sunny London this morning. Sunny London is also good. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is already quite interesting um, that we come together, right? I mean, discussing EU joint HTA, um, having the still also bigger kind of uh, difficulty, I would say, with the Brexit, but we can probably put that a bit aside. Um, I think uh, it's it's still the kind of key question to me if the EU joint HTA might make life easier, especially for pharmaceutical and later on also medical device companies. Not exactly sure, but I mean, ultimately, the whole kind of concept, if I want to say it like that, is approaching quite fast. Um, what are your thoughts, especially after you have also developed a quite nice blog article are individual country HCA organizations and or country processes itself, the systems, really prepared yet for it? I'm happy to take that question, Stefan. Thank you. I think it's a, it's a great question. And 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 to me, um, I think the short answer to that is no. And and reason being, I think, you know, as you've mentioned, I think everyone is is aware that, you know, this massive change is about to happen and where we are approaching it quite quickly. And and, you know, as this change is on the horizon, I think I think there's a sense, I think um, you know, I sense that there's a lot of uncertainty amongst HTA organizations, but also um in industry as well and other stakeholders. And 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 despite this imminent change or imminent changes, I think it's safe to say that nobody really knows what the outcome is going to be in, until it actually comes into effect or we come we come closer to the time um and you know time is already ticking so mm. with with this forthcoming regulation i think you know it's been in development for several years and and it's only now that we're approaching closer to the implementation date that we're hearing more about you know the progress of unetta um we've had some updates recently about uh when we're expecting these final deliverables and with the um revised dates that were released in January we now know that JCAs are set to take from Q4 2024 and and having said that you know that that just leaves under two years to ensure there's alignment between HTA organizations and UNETA and and to me I think at the moment um, there seems to be this gaping hole in in the expectations of what HTA methodology at the joint level would look like, and and what kind of evidence requirements are needed for the JCA. Um, so, in terms of HTA countries being prepared, well, you know, the UNETA consortium encompasses quite a large stakeholder network, and and this also includes representatives um, uh, from each member state. And, you know, this the stakeholder network has been closely involved in the development of UNETA and they have actually had the opportunity to provide feedback on the deliverables on a few occasions. So, you know, these member states are being kept in the loop. They they do know what's going on. But of course, I think it's going to take quite some time uh, for these um, individual member states to implement these changes to their respective countries. And and at the moment, like I said, I don't I don't think there's an alignment there. And. I just want to add that Marcus Guardian, who's the um, chief operating officer, and I think I also included this in 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 the recent blog you were referring to, that there's been you know over four hundred comments on on the recently shared deliverables. And although we've been hearing a lot from industry and and their perspective, and you know we know that there's quite some quite a lot of discontentment uh, amongst farm associations and industry on the progress, and and they believe that you know their feedback hasn't been addressed. But to date. 
um I've not really heard I'm not sure if you have Stefan but uh, or Chloe I'm I'm not sure what the stance of these individual member states are I don't I don't think we've heard too much communication from them um all I know is that with time ticking, it doesn't seem like we're reaching, we, we're, we're any closer to reaching an agreement on what the evidence requirements are. Um, and, and without this, to answer, to answer your question simply, I think, I think it will be quite difficult and, and dare I say, you know, almost impossible for HTA bodies to be well prepared uh, for 2025. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I can only agree. I mean, that's also yeah. my kind of uh, current view there. Um, it, it it's probably already difficult to see. I mean, in which ways really the process would would look like in detail, right? Meaning how mm-hmm. and which kind of let's say documents would need to be prepared. I think the other question still. I mean, as you already said, um, I think twice um, in the last couple of minutes. I mean, what needs to be prepared in terms of, for example, endpoints or generally, let's say, the acceptable evidence base. I mean, which is already quite difficult. I mean, if we, you compare already now the outcomes of different reimbursement submissions across Europe, I mean, you see already big differences, right? Whether it's just subgrouping for just some, uh, sorry, reimbursement just for some subgroups or a rejection of reimbursement or big differences in terms of prices, et cetera, et cetera. So it will be really interesting to see how such a kind of system could really work on European level. No, I, I completely concur. And, 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 you know, I just want to highlight that, you know, although, you know, it seems like, you know, it's, it's slightly a, a negative stance here and we're, we're, well, I'm being a bit sceptical, but on the whole, I think, you know, Unete is a great idea. And if, if we can really mirror um, or we can materialize, um, you know, Unetta's vision, I think, I think it will be great, um, you know, for industry, for manufacturers, for patients. But like you said, um, without this alignment on on what the evidence requirements are i think it'll be very difficult and you know historically um you know as you and i both know i think there's been some conflict or you know differing opinions between member states on um you know what's considered as acceptable evidence mm. uh, you know a clinical endpoint uh you know that's accepted in one member state might not be in another and um you know, even if we're talking about standard of care, for example, in a therapeutic indication, this also might vary between member states. So, yeah, it's I think, you know, without this alignment, it's going to be very difficult. And I think, Stefan, I think you've also mentioned in previous uh, conversations and podcasts that, you know, you, you're sometimes you uh, you've referred to diabetes as an example. And, you know, if we're looking at some some of the recently approved, um, you know, anti-diabetic type two medications for example in France we're seeing a lot more um that are available compared to Germany and there's been some pushback there so again it, it comes down to the the evidence requirements right and and different individual member states will have uh different uh, requirements and what they believe is acceptable so there needs to be this alignment at at this joint level yeah no, no, I, I fully agree I mean maybe what we can do here is maybe really taking um a step backwards i think before going into the details could uh, could you maybe quickly describe again for especially maybe the ones not that 100% let's say familiar with the current kind of process and the discussion the last couple of years around the joint hda what, what is the idea around eu joint hda and how would it top level basically ideally look like i mean we have already discussed a lot about the details but what is it really more or less around let's say if if you would let's say have a look on the on the current discussions from US perspective, not having had any experience yet with Europe. 
What would be the kind of, let's say, key takeaways you would, um, or maybe how we, how you would potentially even summarize it? Yeah, thanks, Stefan. I'm happy to take this one. I think ultimately it's important to understand the context of where we're at at the moment uh, in terms of the HTA systems um, that exist in Europe are very much the responsibility of the individual member states. Um, and as Priyanka has already touched upon, and as we've already discussed, the um, evidence requirements, the methodologies that those individual countries are using to evaluate um, the clinical uh, as elements of products and the clinical value of products is, is very different. It's very fragmented. There's no kind of alignment. And what the EU HTA regulation aims to do is to provide a system where we can have a joint clinical assessment that's done at the European level, um, which forms as a basis then for the individual member states to make pricing reimbursement decisions. Now, it sounds great, I think. And if we look at uh, the EMA, for example, and what the EMA, the European Medicines Agency does, there's a centralized process for granting marketing authorizations and that's essentially i think what we're trying to get to here is to have a kind of centralized clinical assessment done to ultimately um, try and achieve more equitable access to medicines across europe more timely access to medicines uh, across europe and um, reduce the the resources that the, these individual member states are, are needing to put into this process and kind of get some efficiency. So that's that's ultimately ultimately the goal. All I think, as we've said, the background to this has been it's a long it's been a long time coming. That the regulation's been in discussions for for several years, um, you know, and we're only just now seeing kind of. The, the implementation finally after after this regulation has been adopted. Um, so I think we're we're still in quite the um, initial stages of everything, as we as we've said. But bottom line is we're trying to get the, the ultimate goal is um, kind of more uniform, timely access to medicines across Europe. Where I think we would all agree that this is a, a good idea, right? Um... I mean, the, the interesting part is basically, I mean, as you already as well said it and, and, and mentioned it, um, is how fast and, and in which ways those kind of processes would really be, um, I would say, rather lived, right? I mean, when I had early discussions already months and probably even years ago with some uh, market access experts in Spain, um, whether they would believe, for example, that EU joint HDA would really make products early available to individuals to so to the patient across Europe I mean he was starting to laugh and I was I was just asking him I mean what, what, why the hell are you now ask, are laughing here right um, you know the question was serious and he was yes of course it is serious it's especially serious for the patient right but um if you would compare basically the current discussions with the process he has seen in Spain where you have that national kind of process where everybody was also expecting, that um, uh, because of the national decision, products and new therapies would be available sooner to patients. Um, he as well just said, I mean, that was just a dream, right? Because still the regions and even the local payers have still their own processes. Yes, of course, Europe is not Spain, right? But I mean, you also just said, I mean, sometimes on a European level, let's say processes and decisions are really, really, um, let's say, lasting long. Um, or sometimes even delayed. So I'm also a bit sarcastic, maybe just saying because of that EU joint HTA 
access might even be further delayed, right? Um, would you disagree with that? Um, I'm I'm happy to take this, Stefan. Um, no, I think that I think that's you've made a really great point there, and and you know it from from that perspective, it is a bit ironic, isn't it? Because the mm. whole point, the whole overarching aim for UNETA is is to streamline the process um, to enable um, timely access of these treatments uh, to patients. Um, I mean, you know, as we've established before, I think, you know, we can all agree that UNETA is a great idea. And if if we can, if we can mirror its vision, I mean, happy days, right? I think it will be great for industry, it will be great for everyone. And and it's not really in Eddie Middy's um, best interest not to join the bandwagon. But, but um, as it stands, because there's these polarised expectations, um, uh, of what stakeholders are hoping for versus what UNETA are working towards, you know, without without more meaningful collaboration between stakeholders and UNETA, it's it's quite likely that there will be this misalignment, and 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 because of this misalignment, like you said, there there will be some um, delays because of that, and I think. I think that there's a there's a huge you know there's huge room for this um, sort of back and forth kind of um, dynamic uh, that can happen once dossiers are submitted because of this misalignment, and you know as a result of this regulation, it's quite possible that that the new role for national agencies can be partly shifted to economic evaluations. But I mean, a big but here, right, for, for individual member states to have no further say uh, or role in the clinical assessments, it would it would require a homogeneous alignment between, you know, member states for for the, for this um, joint uh, clinical assessment at, at the EU level. Um, and, you know, historically, like, you know, I've mentioned um, moments ago, you know, you and I know that there's always been differing opinions about what what's considered as acceptable evidence. Um, so point being, you know, you could argue that if there's unclear expectations at um, at the joint level, you know, that's, you know, going to further increase the likelihood of member states wanting more clarity after after JCA submission, you know, on top of the JCA. Um, it's likely that we're going to have further or um, additional evidence requests. And, and that, I think, will be the rate limiting step. You know, this additional hurdle that will delay the process because, you know, we know countries like Germany, uh, for example, if, um, you know, or France, uh, who have quite sophisticated processes, um, you know, if there's no alignment or they can't agree on what, what this acceptable evidence is going to be, um, you know, they're just going to wait for the JCA and and then you know uh, request for further evidence. So, yeah, I think in that sense, I do I do think that you know innovation could be delayed um, further. But of course, I think this applies to those countries that have um, well established systems. Yeah, <laughs> I I can only agree. I think that's probably one of the cool questions. Um, but maybe we can let's say spin that a bit further. Just assuming that let's say the processes are somehow let's say agreed on a european level um mm -hmm. how would you foresee the implementation in individual countries and you have already mentioned let's say more sophisticated process like in france and germany but we have obviously especially across europe other countries with maybe call it a lack of resources how would you see such an implementation on a country or so local basic level really be happening 
Yeah, no, great question. And I think, you know, without without this alignment, I think I think that's that's the billion dollar question. Right. I think I think, um, you know, that's that's why we're kind of seeing a lot of uh, people sitting on the fence or kind of on edge um, about or or slightly concerned, um, you know, that with time ticking, there's quite a lot of work to be done. Um, and, and you know, that, that there has to be this alignment to ensure that, you know, UNETA can um can can be effective but yeah so going back to um you know talking about these countries that have more um sophisticated processes um as i said earlier um in this podcast i don't really think that we've had much communication from individual countries on how they are going to fit um the jca into their processes and i think for sure these countries that have these well-established um, systems will have more challenges integrating the JCA simply because these intricately designed, um, you know, HTA processes and systems has worked well for them for several and, you know, many, many years. And I think the problem is that there's going to be great difficulty in finding that common ground between member states and UNETA where bo- both parties are happy. And and, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, disagree with me, but I think if you have, you know, a differing opinion, but I think um, this might be because, you know, I think some some member states are, you know, finding it, um, you know, more difficult or willing to compromise. Mm. So because, because of this, you know, lack of compromise, you know, it, it's going to be quite difficult for these well-established countries to adopt the JCA into their process. This integration, you know, it, it might take it might take some time and it might take some back and forth. On the contrary, though, um, you know, you mentioned these countries that have, you know, these lack of resources or, you know, not so well-established systems. You know, if we're looking at some Eastern European countries or markets, for example, if we're, you know, if we can refer to, I don't know, Czech Republic or Slovakia, I think for countries... Uh, such as those that don't have these uh, well-established systems, I think this, I think adopting UNETA will be more of a smooth sailing, uh, seamless process because, you know, there's there's not that integration. It will be more sort of them taking on UNETA as, you know, uh, uh, you know, off a clean slate. It will be more of a fresh process for them. And, and certainly, you know, in these countries, without these well-established processes, you know, without, without this, you know, there's absolutely no way that patients can have access to treatments or, you know, have access to these innovative therapies. So I think it'll be really great for them. Um, it will be a really great way to, you know, um, enable, you know, access to, to treatments that maybe they might not have been able to before. So in that sense, I think, I think it'll be really great uh, for those countries. But again, I think definitely um, with, you uh, countries like Germany and France, um, it could be a bit of a challenge. And, you know, talking about that, I I do want to kind of bring an example from one of the feedback comments uh, that was highlighted in in the recent deliverables. And this was that, you know, the VFA and the BPI, you know, the leading German pharma associations, they really voiced their concerns about how they feel um, UNETA have not met the evidence requirements for ATMPs in Germany. And a lot of these views were also mirrored by um, EU trade organizations. And, you know, this, of course, poses a huge risk uh, for potentially successful ATMPs 
uh, to fail through assessments purely because there's no alignment in in these requirements. And I think that would be a great shame because, you know, everyone wants these patients to have access to treatments. You know, if there's an area of unmet need or, you know, there isn't a standard of care that's available. And, And certainly in these instances where therapies or potential therapies that are in development that, you know, can demonstrate, you know, great efficacy and great safety. Um, it would be a shame that they fall through these assessments purely on this basis. So, um, yeah, I think I'm not sure if that, if I've, it's a bit of a long-winded, long-winded answer for you there, Stefan, but um, I'm, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I, I can only agree with that. I think that, I, I think that's probably one of the core and key issues I would also foresee. I mean, would I have seen in also other discussions um, related to joint HCA in Europe is, I mean, in Canada, they have had a similar kind of, let's say, issue roughly 20 years plus ago, right? They have now also, at least for some of the products, a kind of more national um, submission, but always with an opt-out option um, for companies at least have you heard anything around something like that, like an opt-out option for either companies so that they could, for example, just say, you know what, we're not going with our, for example, next CAR T-cell therapy through the EU joint HCA, but we're just targeting directly the individual countries. Or maybe even that's, that some countries would just say, look, I mean, we're not running for all of the EU joint HCA um, submissions, but we're also... Um, asking companies to directly maybe submit their cases to us. Have you heard anything like that? Yeah, so we know, Stefan, that actually from January 2025, all ATMPs and oncology therapies will be mandated to undergo that joint clinical assessment at the European level. So there really is no opt-out option from a company's perspective. It's interesting that you bring up the Canadian system because in a way I think that system could sort of be seen as a model, like a mini model for the EU HTA in a way where you have uh, CADETH, which is the national HTA body essentially uh, conducting that clinical assessment and cost effectiveness assessment on behalf of the provinces. But then it's ultimately a provincial decision as to the reimbursement and at what price they want to reimburse the product. So I think bottom line is the companies can't opt out of it. And I think that's why this is such an important topic. You know, we've uh, in discussions with our clients, you know, we've been starting to introduce this idea that companies need to be future proofing their evidence generation plans, their strategies moving forward, because this is not something that's that's going away. So, you know, because of there, there is no option to opt out, you need to start uh, preparing for this. So if you're a manufacturer and you're thinking, what do I need to be doing now? Um, There's a few things, but I think one important thing is to say, okay, this is going to happen, especially if you're a gene therapy or a cell therapy or targeting an oncology oncology indication, um, looking at the EU treatment landscape, looking at uh, HTA reports, looking actually key learnings from the UNETA joint action. And what, what can we take from those uh, pilots that were that have been conducted before um, and see how that actually might map out uh, uh, as we move forward. So I think, yeah, the bottom line is that there is no opt-out for companies. But from the member state perspective, and this was something that was heavily debated, I know, when uh, it was being passed, the legislation was being passed by the European Commission, was whether it was uh, going to be mandatory for the member states to adopt the uh, decision of the joint clinical assessment. And what was decided was that the joint clinical assessment won't actually make any uh, recommendations, sorry, as to the reimbursement. It will just 
do the assessment and leave it up to the member states as to how they interpret it. So I think that's why this discussion of misalignment as well keeps being uh, brought up because for manufacturers, there's not that level of certainty that although they go through this uh, joint European process, they're still going to have to navigate all of those individual perspectives of the member states afterwards. Exactly. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I fully agree. I mean, it, it's maybe just another layer. It's maybe as well just coming back to what we said a bit earlier, right? It might just even further delay access of innovation to at least some um, patient across um, across the European continent, I would say. But um, maybe turn that just towards the end of the of this podcast episode into a bit more of a positive um, uh, flavor, because I think, as as I think you both said already as well earlier, I think generally the idea is really good, and I think uh, we're living in 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 one. Um, I mean, I'm speaking with two with two English. <laughs> Person, so I just want to say into in in one European Union, but obviously having you, uh, let's say, in the episode, it's it might get a bit tricky. But you know what I mean, right? The, the current, <laughs> the general European idea, I think, is a good idea. I guess yeah. you would also agree. So maybe we we'll just turn that a bit and just say, I mean, what would be needed in order to make that endeavor joint HCA a success? So my my perspective on this, Stefan, is that I think we need to accept there will be some level of uncertainty moving forward, mm-hmm. it, because as with any new system or process, there will probably be some teething issues. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of concern among industry, you know, with what's going to happen, a discontentment with the level of, um, you know, EU, EU Netta consortium listening to industry's perspective. But I think everybody involved needs to have um, some kind of acceptance of this. I think there's going to be a lot of watchful eyes on what's going to happen with those first few ATMPs and oncology therapies that undergo the joint clinical assessments first and to see what happens with those. So in a way, I see them being the guinea pigs, if you will, for testing the process, um, which, of course, no company wants to be the one to test on the new system. But I think it's especially important that we take those learnings from those first few therapies and look at it as a way to refine the process over time. So I don't think it's something that it's just going to be implemented and it's it's perfect straight off the bat. So I think accepting a level of uncertainty and understanding that this is uh, the first step in, um, you know, a process to kind of get to where we want to be and having this alignment at an EU level. And specifically for companies, I think in order to make EU joint HTA a success, I think they need to look inwards as well. So what can they be, what can they do to engage with the UNETA consortium and, and influence and give their perspective on on the process, but also looking internally and saying, what can we be doing now to establish the internal processes and teams that will be responsible for developing the joint clinical assessment dossier? Who within our team is going to be involved in that? And can we um, have internal champions and experts that are going to um, collaborate to to drive that efficiency in the process? Because I think that's something that, um, again, inevitably will take time to change organisational processes in a company. But is fundamental to making sure that this is successful. Um, but ultimately, I am hopeful, although we've, we've highlighted a lot of the challenges here, I'm hopeful that we can eventually have a system like the European Medicines Agency has managed to do at regulatory mm-hmm. level, which does provide a foundation for having a more uniform um, assessment and a more um, timely access and equitable access to medicines for patients. Yeah, let's let just um, keep uh, positive, being positive. Positive thinking, I think, might help. 
<laughs> I mean, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, thanks a lot also for all of your insights. I think it was, it was a really good and great discussion. Some further kind of um, detail you have also brought into that kind of discussion. I mean, as you as well you already said, I think whoever is planning to launch a product, especially in the oncology slash ATP area in the next, uh, let's say, two plus years, should now already start thinking and planning for the EU joint HDA. Thank you both. Thanks a lot, Stefan. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you for having us. So great discussion with two, I would also say, experts in EU joint HDA. And I think both have basically confirmed what we have also discussed in earlier episodes that finally, and unfortunately, I would also say, HDA organizations across Europe are not yet ready for EU joint HDA. I think um, not only the industry, but also the processes and the different payers and um People working at those um, organizations and institutions do not yet know how the process will look like. There's still a lot of debates, a lot of discussions, which are generally obviously be fine. I mean, you need to have that. But ultimately, time is pressing. And as we all know, a preparation for submission takes time. It takes time to get the right analysis done, to get the right uh, medical writing done, and then also and finally get the alignment review being done in time so i think the clock is ticking but i think ultimately we all need to let's say wait a bit and i think as both said a couple of times maybe we just need to still be positive positive thinking and just see that as well as a kind of learning process what we have heard now since 10 years for example also in the german i'm not process Having said that, with Germany, but also with France, I mean, it will be really interesting to see how that would really look like, um, how those sophisticated countries and processes would really adapt to the EU joint HCA. I think we have also heard, I think, a lot of debates, for example, what will and how it will be implemented on, uh, or let's say, with products such as with AT&Ps, where maybe the evidence base is a bit more tricky than for other products. But what is sure is that the EU joint HTA will come and it will start with oncology and ATMPs. So whoever has such a kind of product in their hands or in their pipeline and are planning to launch, let's say beyond Q4 2024, should now already start thinking and planning in order to be successful in Europe. That was an episode of MAP, the Market Access Podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.